So let's open up to Ephesians chapter 2. As we already got to read this morning, uh, the scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, uh, continuing our study through the book of Ephesians. Last week we studied on, you know, looking at how the gospel is relevant for Jew and Gentile. It really doesn't matter what uh, social group you're part of, what race you're part of, what people group you're part of. The gospel is relevant, and the cross is sufficient, and we all have direct access to God uh, through relationship with Jesus Christ and by the work that he's done under the blood of Jesus. And so today, keeping that in mind, uh, now shifting a, a bit of our focus back to specifically the Gentiles for a moment here, uh, and, and looking, even thinking of that terrible separation that we studied about uh, a few weeks ago, and that separation between, uh, that the Gentiles, they had kind of built into their, their lives, their race, their social, um, they were social outcasts, so to speak, right? So here, verse 19, as we begin, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The first thing we see here as being under the blood of Jesus in the body of Christ, part of the body of Christ, which was a, a massive undertaking for the Gentiles, right? The first thing we see is it says is you're no longer strangers and foreigners, so now they have fellowship, right? There's a fellowship that they have. There's a fellowship that happens between Jews and Gentiles now that is impossible apart from the blood of Christ, apart from being under the lordship of Christ. So this fellowship is because of the blood of Jesus. He brings peace. We studied that last week. He is peace. We studied that last week. He brings that peace between God and man, and he brings peace between men. He's done it, yet we hold on to so many dividing factors in the world, and we forget in the midst of that the blood of Christ. Uh, he made a new people or a, a new race, as we discussed last week. Even looking at the, the early church, the, the believers that called themselves in that day the third race, a new people, it, no longer identified by the labels of the uh, social, you know, of social divides, and no longer under the labels of the economic divides, but just. We're a third race. We're the body of Christ, and we need still today to hold on to that truth, that confidence as the body of Christ. We are all uh, in the same great need for Jesus, and we all have the same direct access to God under the blood of Jesus. And in these verses here today, we're going to see uh, an illustration that Paul gives, and it's of a doctrine that Paul already introduced, and that is reconciliation. And he's going to give this illustration of reconciliation and, and what, what God has done in bringing people near to himself and near to each other and all of the benefits that there are within the body of Christ. We're looking at these several things, and the first is fellowship. We have, as part of the body of Christ, we have fellowship. 
in a, in a room of this many people, however many people, hundreds of people here today, or you're listening online, watching online, it, there, how many different people and different backgrounds are represented here? We have Pastor Leo with us today from Haiti, right? But we say we love you, Pastor Leo. We support you. And, and how many other people that have so many different backgrounds and upbringings, but yet in this place today, we have fellowship. That's only under the blood of Christ. Now, I've traveled quite a bit. I've lived in other countries. And with the body of Christ, there's fellowship. There's a common ground. Wherever you go, if you find a believer, there's a celebration within. I don't know about you guys. But I go to places, I find somebody's a Christian. I'm like, yes, my people. <laughs> it's such a gift. It's such a blessing. There's fellowship. Regardless of your background, regardless where we're from, we all have that. In the body of Christ, we have fellowship. No longer, as, he, as Paul writes, speaking to the Gentiles, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. And that he introduced to us in chapter 2, verse 12, as we studied a few weeks ago, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So they were without land. They were without citizenship. They were without covenant. They were without hope. They had no fellowship with anybody. They had no fellowship with the Jews who were the religious standard. They had no fellowship with the Jews who were the most common people in the land, most common group in the society. But now Paul says that you are no longer strangers and foreigners. He just told them in this letter that you were once strangers and foreigners. You were once aliens. You, you were not really a part of the, the, you had no citizenship, you had no covenant. You were not part of the people, but now he's saying no longer. You're no longer social outcasts. You're no longer resident aliens, so to speak. You're here, but you really don't have a place. So that's who the Gentiles were, and we discussed that a few weeks ago, and now here, Paul is making it clear, you are no longer, under the blood of Jesus Christ, you're no longer separated, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners. Now, as I said before, I've lived in a couple different countries, and uh, in 2009 into 2010, we lived in the Bahamas, and we lived in Brazil. Uh, now, I'll just say in general, there's a, very, there's a big difference between those two countries. In the Bahamas, you're not really, as an American, you're not really welcome, right? Now, in, in the church, you can find that fellowship, but it was kind of hard even to find that fellowship in even the church. Like, we're good, we don't need the Americans, is kind of the perspective, right? Felt like a seriously like a foreigner and and even they make it hard like you know you you can't become a citizen of the bahamas if you've not been born there uh we could become a resident and that took like a year to get that residency actually by the time we got our residency card we were moving out of the country 
So I was like, hey, this is great timing. I was super excited. We got the, I'm like, this is awesome. I got the residency card. Now I can actually be a part of society a little bit, you know, but it was hard. It was hard to be welcomed in. I remember when I first got there and I was trying to get the power turned on to our apartment. I had to go down to the electric company and wait with hundreds of other people and it's chaos. There's, there's no order of any sort to anything. And I waited for like three hours to find out that I couldn't actually do it because who am I? Just some American that showed up trying to get power turned on to an apartment that I'm paying for, but no, no, you can't do it. So I had to find another way. I had to get my landlord, the resident, to go and get the power turned on. It's quite a process. I had no ability as a foreigner to, to be a part of society. And it was not easy. You weren't welcomed in open arms. But we went to Brazil and we lived there for a few months, and man, you show up, and we had our three-week-old daughter, our first kid, our, our three-week-old daughter, and you meet somebody for the first time, and they're taking your baby right out of your hands, like you're part of their family. Like, oh, this is wonderful. You got your kid. You're like, hold on a minute. We're first-time parents, 22, 23 years old. What is happening here? Give me my child back. You, when, when you're in church, I mean, talk about fellowship in the body of Christ. You're in church, like here, we're like, hey, guys, take a moment and greet each other. You turn, see two people, you wave, you know. <laughs> How you doing? Give a nod, you know. Maybe you're shaking hands or giving a hug, right? And that takes us uh, 30 seconds tops. And everybody sits down, and, and it's great, right? And we, we have fellowship in the foyer after and out in the parking lot, praise the Lord. But in Brazil... It's time to greet each other. Every single person in the church has to greet every single person in the church with a hug and a kiss. I mean, they take the scriptures literally to greet one another with a holy kiss. It takes a half an hour. But it's beautiful. And there was quite a difference for us over the, I mean, we went from the Bahamas to Brazil, and here we felt like, you know, we're, we're good, you know, just keep your distance, you're not really welcome to be part of society here, but over here, oh man, they love you. <laughs> you're welcomed in. You're a part of the family, and, and, and yeah, we can always find that, though. Listen, we can always find fellowship in the body of Christ, even if it's a little harder in Brazil, or in the Bahamas versus Brazil, you still could find that fellowship in the body of Christ. And so, we have fellowship. Under the blood of Christ, we have fellowship. And, and beyond that, not even, not just the fact that you have fellowship, you're fellow citizens. You have the same rights, the same benefits, the same blessings. And this is the Gentiles who had, as we said before, nothing. They had no land. They had no citizenship. They had no covenant. They had, Paul says, even without hope. But yet, now they have the same benefits, the same blessings. Because we're talking about if you remember, throughout all of Ephesians so far, we've been talking about God's economy. You see, on a man's economy, on our standards, it's really hard to overcome racial 
and social divides. But in God's economy, we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We talked about that. What it means is that we are being remade into a new people, the body of Christ. And in that, we have fellowship. In that, we are fellow citizens with the same rights. That word, uh, it, it means really that you're a member of the city or state. You're a member. You're part of it. You have ownership of the city or state, conveying the idea of belonging to a people. And here specifically, it implies the full union and possession of the same citizenship, the same right, the same blessing. This is really good news for the Gentiles, right? No longer strangers, no longer foreigners, no longer social outcasts, but actually brought in to fellowship with the people of God. Again, as we've been talking so much about God's economy, this is part of it. The glorious union of people under the blood of Christ, under the one banner which is Jesus. And so what is that citizenship, though? We're not talking about the Holy Land of Israel. We're not talking about Ephesus. We're not talking about Howell, New Jersey, or Monmouth County, or Ocean County, or wherever you're from, saying, hey, praise the Lord, we all have citizenship here in this building of Cornerstone Church in Howell, New Jersey. That's not really worth much. But this citizenship, again, within God's economy, this citizenship is heaven. Going back to even the beginning in chapter one, verse three, where it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The heavenly places. It has nothing to do with this. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Our citizenship is not here at all. Our citizenship is, is, yes, there's fellowship and there's blessing among us, but there's spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and that's the citizenship that we look forward to, that we actually have through relationship with Jesus under the blood of Jesus. Spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, in God's economy. Always remembering that in God's economy, there is more. It's always better. Better than anything we could imagine here and now. So there's fellowship in the body of Christ. Further, it says that we, uh, in, in, uh, also in verse 19, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we have fellowship and we have family. We have family. We are of the household of God. Again, much better than being a part of the household of Cornerstone Church. Much better than being of the household of, put your house in there, put your address in, the, in there. And you know, my kids, I, four kids, they're born into my family. They're part of the household. They have the right and privilege of living under my roof. We don't have to have a negotiation about it. You know, when they're born and we bring them home from the hospital, it's not like, okay, 
You can earn your keep. You can do these things. I'll let you stay. Maybe when they're like 18, we'll get there. But until then, right, I have a responsibility, and they're part of my household. They're part of my family. And they get everything that goes with being of my household. A roof over their head, a bed to sleep on, a meal on the table, love and guidance from their parents that I hope they receive. This is all the blessing of being a part of my household. What's that worth? That citizenship is worth nothing compared to God's economy. And so we have family. And look around you guys. This is your family. This is the family of God. And when you can tap into, when you go through things in life, you need the family of God. When, when there's pain and suffering in your life, and you could show up and you can come to church and you could get a hug from that brother or sister in Christ, man, it makes a big difference. Because there's, a, there's a, the grace of God that is being poured out in the midst of that family, of this family. The grace of God is being poured out. We're gonna get into that in Ephesians chapter four. It's such a privilege, it's such a gift having gone through some, some heavy suffering in our own lives and, and coming to this place and being able to see the family of God and be embraced by the family of God, there is nothing like it. Learn to appreciate that, the great value of the family of God. You see, Jesus even said, I don't leave you orphans, right? He gave the Holy Spirit. But further than that, he gave his body, the body of Christ. That man, we just, we just take each other in, don't we? We're members of the household. Jews and Gentiles alike are members of the household of God, part of God's family. That's where we, we say we're brothers and sisters in Christ because we're part of God's family. We are brothers and sisters. Through relationship with Jesus, under the blood of Christ, under the lordship of Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. Part of the family of God. And, and let's not take that lightly. A little side note here. Make sure that we're treating one another as sons and daughters of the most high God. I was listening to a podcast this week on marriage and the point that they were making is talking about the fact that my wife is a daughter of God. And if I have issue with my wife, then I've got issue with God because that's his daughter. I don't know about you guys, parents in the room, somebody messes with your kids, you got trouble, amen? <laughs> There is trouble. You don't mess with my kids or we got trouble. I don't know about you, but I don't want trouble with God. 
And so when we look around in the body of Christ and we have different things that we want to cause issue over, let's remember that that brother and sister in Christ is not just a brother or sister, they are a daughter or a son of the Most High God, and they need to be treated as such. So be careful with how you treat one another, because you may be mistreating a son or a daughter of God, therefore you have trouble with God because you're messing with his kids. So here we have a new people, a new race that has been established, and there is fellowship, and now there is family. The family of God has been established, and further, let's look at how the household is built. Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the next thing we see here, this is how the house is built. We have fellowship in the house of God. We have family in the house of God. Now let's talk about the house being built. Now where does it start? With the foundation. The foundation is necessary. And he says that it's having been built, that it's already happened because Christ has already done the work. It's a past tense. This has already been done by the blood of Christ. The Gentiles have been brought into the household or into the family of God. The Jews have been brought in to the household and into the family of God. We have a common foundation. Just as we all have the same need for Jesus, the same need for, as we talked about last week, the one relevant gospel, we have the same access to God, and now we have this common need for a foundation that cannot be shaken. Other foundations fail. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says it. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. This is about the kingdom of God. And it was about building on, as he says, who hears these words of mine. The foundation here is the words that Jesus spoke and does them. Foundation being the word of God. You can't have a house or a building without a foundation. It doesn't work. As Jesus said, if there's sand and the rains come, the wind comes, it's all going down. And the fall will be great. It will be washed away entirely. And the, the Gentiles, speaking to the Gentiles and speaking to the Jews, but the, the, Jew, the Gentiles, before their conversion, they were building their foundation on all sorts of idle philosophies, on uh, other pagan religions or vain worship of other gods. That's what they built upon, kind of the common ideas of the world. They built on the, the foundation of other things. 
Much of what we see going on in the world around us, people building on other religions, people building on other philosophies or ideologies. The Jews were building on rabbinical traditions, whatever the rabbi told them. And building on that tradition of Judaism and the religiosity of the day. Again, much of what we see going on in the world with you have the religious group of people that would build on just rules and regulation of religion and tradition of religion. And you have much of the world who builds on all different types of philosophies and ideologies. So Paul is saying this is how, having been built on a foundation, the church is built on the proper foundation, and it's Jesus. And he he refers here as well to the apostles and the prophets, identified as being a part of the foundation here. And, And we know, yes, Christ is the chief cornerstone. We'll get into that in a moment. The firm foundation, it is Jesus himself. But the prophets, the apostles, they're identified as part of this foundation. Even as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, that for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But the prophets and the apostles are included here because the, the New Testament revelation that was given to them. It was committed to them. The work of the Holy Spirit that began in them and the beginning of the church. Uh, In a sense, the apostles and the prophets of the New Testament were God's gift to the early church. They were foundational. They were not the foundation. Their foundation was the word of God and Jesus himself. And the early church, you know, through the the work of of the Holy Spirit with the apostles and the prophets of the New Testament, what did they have in common, these early church leaders they had in common, that they had seen the resurrected Christ, that revelation had taken place. And on that foundation, Jesus builds his church. They're not the foundation, but they have a foundation. It's the word of God, and it's Jesus himself. But they were foundational. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. These four points are pillars of the early church. These are foundational things. The apostles' doctrine being an essential part of the church, building on the foundation of the word of God. That's why we do what we do. We are committed to the word of God. That's the greatest foundation that we can teach is the word of God, the inspired scriptures. That is a true foundation. But then it says Christ is the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone is the key position in the foundation referred to even as the the binding stone which holds the whole structure together. You take out the cornerstone, the whole structure falls. It is the most important 
stone in the entire structure. But yet there's many stones, isn't there? There's a need for it all to be built up. We'll get into that, that we're all part of that. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 20, Jesus speaking to his disciples, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Christ here in this passage, and it's a whole nother message for a whole nother day. That alone in, in Matthew chapter 16. But this is a revelation of Christ. And in that place, they're standing there, Caesarea Philippi. It was a place of total pagan worship. It was the base of the mountain, the largest mountain range in all of Israel, at the base of Mount Hermon. And out of it came this spring and the water that came out. It literally fed the entire region of the Galilee region. And that was a place of pagan worship right there at that rock. And it's a massive rock at the base of this mountain. And the spring came out. And that pagan worship, and there's this beautiful picture here. This pagan worship came down and that fed the entire region. But here's Jesus. He brings his disciples to that place of pagan worship so he could show them something. The foundation of the church. The rock, as we even read about Matthew chapter seven, being built on the rock. The rock is Jesus. And Jesus here in this place in Caesarea Philippi, he stands there and he says, upon this rock, referring to himself, upon this rock, I will build my church. That's the foundation and out of that place, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna overcome this pagan worship. And this rock that you see, this foundational piece in all of the pagan worship of the day, it's nothing. But on this rock, I'm gonna build my church and that's gonna last for generation after generation after generation. That's the true foundation of the church, Jesus the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the foundation of doctrine, the foundation of truth, it's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So further here, verse 21, we continue after we have the foundation of our building. Verse 21 says, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now we have the framework of the building. Further illustration here of remember what we're talking about. We've, we springboard out of Ephesians 2.10, his workmanship. This is his workmanship. Look at what we're talking about, building 
in God's economy, building the church. A building that is designed perfectly and beautifully by God. It's not just a pile of rocks. And you could go to Jerusalem even right now. We have a trip coming up in November. And you could go and you could visit the temple. And at that temple, there's lots of piles of rocks. But Jesus didn't say on those rocks, on this rock, and you could go and you could see the cornerstone of the temple mount is there, and it is massive. And you get a picture like, wow, the cornerstone, it it holds it all together here. This is amazing. But Jesus said, no, upon this rock, upon Jesus himself, he builds his church. And all these piles of rocks are, are nothing. They're just piles of rocks. But now Jesus shows up. Jesus who died and rose again. And on the foundation of that true doctrine of the gospel that is relevant, we can build our faith and God builds his church. Now that framework is not just a pile of rocks, but fit together is what it's talking about. Being fit together for God's purpose and for God's glory. God arranges the church for his glorious purposes. Peter calls the church or the body of Christ living stones not just a pile of rocks, part of his workmanship. Remember that. We've been talking so much about that. We are his workmanship, a glorious work of art. Poema is the word. We're a glorious work of art, but not just us individually, as we've talked about, but we all are his poema through relationship with Jesus Christ. Then beyond that, We're being fit together, built together as God's glorious work of art, his workmanship, his poema. A building has blueprints, and as they are followed, it's built. And here's the blueprints, foundation, framework. God is fitting together his church, and it grows into a beautiful structure, A holy temple, as it says. Holy is to be set apart, to glorify God. Steady growth is an important important piece of the church. Paul's saying, this is what the church should look like. Holy, set apart. Being built into a holy temple, not a a place of pagan worship. Looking more like Jesus and not looking more like the world. Today, it seems more and more the church is looking more and more like the world, allowing for various false doctrines to creep in. It brings great deception, but the church needs to shine bright. The church is to be holy, sacred, set apart for his purpose and for his glory. Not forsaking the apostles' doctrine and growing into, I get this picture just growing into holy. That as we grow, it's into holiness, it's not into worldliness. 
As we grow, it's not, it's not about the numbers of the church. And that's, that's a sign that the Lord is moving and working. Praise God. But that we would be growing. People would be growing into holiness. Verse 22. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So in the church, the body of Christ, we have fellowship, we have family, and this is what it looks like. This is how we're built. We have a foundation, which is Jesus. We're part of the framework, living stones. And verse 22, we have a function. And that function is to be the, the dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament times, God chose to dwell among his people in material buildings. The tabernacle, the temple. The tabernacle and the temple were built so intricately to God's very clear specifications. Right, And we don't have time to go there and to read through all of God's clear specifications, but it was very specific. And some beautiful things, the, the tabernacle, the temple were beautiful. There was acacia trees were cut down and then remade into the tabernacle, and they were encased in gold. This is a, a tree, it's wood but yet encased in gold. A beautiful work of art, beautiful workmanship. But God no longer dwells in material buildings, but in his church. God dwells in his people, believers. Being built together, as I said before, it's the idea of being fit together for God's dwelling place. And like the acacia trees, we were once firmly rooted in the ways of the world, dead in our trespasses and sins. Then cut off from the old way or the old function and remade into the dwelling place of God, his workmanship. His poema, a glorious work of art. The function of the church is to be built into the dwelling place of God, to glorify God, that we might see and experience how great his ways and his plans are for his glorious church, his glorious work of art. So under the blood of Christ that brings us near and gives us direct access to God. Through relationship with Jesus, we are part of the body of Christ. And as being a part of the body of Christ, we have fellowship. We are citizens. We are citizens of heaven. We have family. We're part of the household of God. And we are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're part of the framework 
And we have a function to be the dwelling place of God for his glory and for his purpose. Let's pray.